seem related until I get to the end of the story, but I played uh, rec soccer as a kid, and for, for so many years, my dad was my coach, and he always impressed upon us that the number one rule of the game was not to win, but it was to have fun, and so that was that carries over to, I think, the the Mutton Chop's uh, main objective was always to, you know, to have fun. You know, whatever we do, we're going to have fun doing it, whether it's rehearsal, you know, whether it's performances, we just love playing and so we weren't going to soil that with anything but joy. That was the Mutton Chops Brass Band and Luke McBrayer, one of their trombone players. Who are the Mutton Chops? At its core it was, you know, a bunch of best friends doing, you know, some of the stuff that we love to do the most, which is just playing music and you know, having fun. They went to high school in my hometown, Vestavia Hills, Alabama. They grew up playing together in band. They realized music was what they wanted to do in their off time, too. I'm Beth McGinnis. This is Here in Alabama, and these are my friends, the Mutton Chops. story that Andrew likes to tell is that there's this other, this very, very prominent, smaller brass band, smaller in size, but much larger in popularity called the Lucky Chops. And so anytime that we would get any question about, hey, do y'all, you know, y'all sound a lot, you know, y'all are a brass band, y'all sound like the Lucky Chops, is that where your name comes from? Andrew's very quick to pull up these screenshots of our early brainstorming days of figuring out that we're going to be the Mutt Chops and the he always shows that there's no, you know, we never say anything with Lucky Chops. We didn't know about them. So he always puts those those accusations to rest. We are not a, a copycat group. It is mere coincidence. However, we, you know, the first song we played in the pop sphere was pretty much note for note cover of a Lucky Chops cover <laughs> of Adele's Hello, a pretty, a pretty popular song at the time. So the evidence kind of works against us there, but we, purely coincidence, <laughs> the Lucky Chops and the Mutton Chops are. The other guys defended Luke's claim. Here are Owen Porter, Andrew Pejos, and Turner Hamilton. Owen, you mentioned Lucky Chops, and there's a little bit of controversy about the name. (laughs) So uh, what can you tell me about that? I'll I'll take the reins on this one. (laughs) Andrew Pejos. So when we made the name Mutton Chops, some people don't believe us when we say this, but it actually had nothing to do with the band Lucky Chops. We didn't even know who they were. We have a member of the of the group named Kanal Tawari. He has facial hair that very closely resembles uh, mutton chops. And in imagery, it's this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You can't see, but Owen actually has a tattoo yeah. of our band. Uh, it's basically Kanal's face. But <laughs> yes, we kind of, we kind of went, went with some names. We had maybe Jazz Chops. 
I yeah. popped in there a little set there a little bit, but we ended up just liking the name Mutton Chops, and we went with it. Yeah, I think mm. one of the other suggestions was Big Chaz Small Pants. Turner Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, that was, we weren't working with a lot, and, uh, but Mutton Chops was great. Because, I mean, Kamal is a sight to behold. Owen Porter. And so, especially at the time, especially, especially at the time, like we were he's cleaned up a little. We were scared. As a sophomore in high school, he had full, full facial hair, and he wasn't hair. a big guy, so it was kind of you know that was kind of just a we had to kind of go for that. <laughs> that, was, that was perfect. But Lucky Chops, when, like we did that, that that was a when we were growing up, we were all we all been in band together since like the sixth grade, and we listened to a lot of brass bands. While we were younger, like, you know, No BS Grass, No BS Young Blood Grass, and stuff like that, Hackney Colliery. I mean, Lucky Chops was just another one of those that we would listen to. So it was, and they had good music, and they were a smaller group. It was easier stuff for us to do. It was more popular songs, and so we decided to do some covers of their songs. Mm-hmm. That, those were always fun. Like, I mean, Hello, we played at a talent show in high school, and it was, it was so cute. I asked Luke which were his favorite songs that Mutton Chops did. And I'll go back to soccer for a brief second. I just always loved the practice and you know the, the the sport of the game. So I just love playing. So I don't think there was ever a song that I didn't just love playing. Let's see, we played Sean Kingston's "Beautiful Girls." That was always a fun one. One of our other trombone players, Kunal, actually recorded. We have a part in there that he's playing on euphonium. So that was a that was a bit of a creative one. <laughs> we had an original that mainly our saxophonist helped craft called Julian. It's a character from the Madagascar movies, like those animated movies from DreamWorks or Pixar's, but there's one of the lemurs, and his name is Julian. So some, you know, some inside joke, and that was a, that was a favorite just because it was an original. We felt really connected to that one. But I think the best one for all of us has had just had to be when the Saints come marching in. I think that was one of the songs we played at every single gig. And that was always our closer, and we always did it more or less the same way. But you know, still had so much fun being creative with it. We'd start really, you know, start really uh, small and, and soft, and we'd all get really low to the stage. And I actually would always just lay down on my back and kind of roll around. Which, when playing trombone, that can be kind of difficult because you know your your slide and your mouthpiece is facing upwards, and uh, you know gravity's working against you there with all the spit that you're blowing. But <laughs> you know, somehow I managed every time. But you know, we'd all get really low to the ground, and so I'd kick it around on my back like a turtle, and then. We get to the end of the first verse, and then our, our drummer would hit the hit the snare drum a solid four times, and we'd all jump up. You know, it seemed like the crowd went crazy every time. But and another creative twist from our our other trombonist Kunal, um, he he always took a kazoo solo on that one. But every concert, it was a different kazoo because he'd always blow out the the rattle in the middle of it. You said gravity was working against you <laughs> with the spit, and you did use the word spit. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear brass players say it's not spit, it's condensation. Where do you come uh, down on that? You know, I, I have never never looked in that topic. Like a lot of my opinions, it is not very, not very grounded or sound. I just, it's liquid when it comes out of the valve, and so I put two and two together and get spit somehow. But, <laughs> uh, condensation, I'll, I'll have to do some more research with you and get back to you in a, in a later episode. <laughs> okay. Can consult some professionals about that.
joking about consulting professionals on the distinction between spit and condensation, but it does strike me how much real professional experience the mutton chops got through this extracurricular high school band. They did auditions, music festivals, scheduled their own gigs, rehearsed on their own, made their own arrangements, sold merchandise. They won a battle of the bands and used their prize money to record several tracks in a professional studio. Yeah, and if they figure out the process of being in the studio and how are we going to pay for this and mm-hmm. how, how do we want it to be mixed. You know, mm-hmm. even small things like how are we going to get t-shirts, print out mm-hmm. logos, yeah. getting the logos, stuff yeah. like that. We got some real world experience before you know, going to college where those things happened. Tattooing that logo on your body when you're 18. <laughs> <laughs> are you the only one that has a tattoo? I'm the only one, I'm the only one that has the tattoo of the Mutton Shops logo. Uh, Maybe someone else will get it in the future. I'm looking at you, Turner, but... <laughs> As for now, yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna ask if anybody has any other tattoos. <laughs> oh right, I know about the spork. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you heard that right. Owen does have the mutton chops logo tattooed on his body. He also has a spork tattoo. S P O R K. That's all you need to know about that. I'm impressed at all the mutton chops were doing in high school, but I'm not really all that surprised. There's evidence that teenagers are at a high point when it comes to creativity. We definitely see that in musicians. Just think of Mozart, Schubert, and Felix Mendelssohn, or Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, and Beyonce. The mutton chops may never be as famous as these people, but they do have a creative spark and the ability to follow through with it. I asked them about one aspect of this creative life, the music arranging and composing. After we'd been playing for a certain amount of time and we started, especially once we started getting paid gigs, we kind of just felt as a group that it was a little tacky to only do covers, especially covers that people wouldn't always know were covers. So yeah, like, say, say, we, we, say we do a cover of a brass band arrangement, to the best of the audience's knowledge, that was just our arrangement. So it felt a little tacky to kind of rip that off. <laughs> yeah, so we, we started out just doing our own arrangements and then eventually just playing together kind of naturally, I think. You know, we would have our arrangements of like 80s pop tunes to some jazz standards to some R&B songs and piece stuff people would know and some of our own stuff. We, we didn't really know our sound too well or what we were kind of working with, so doing those covers, I guess, of of brass bands that we knew kind of helped us figure out what a brass band sounds like and like what our sound sounds like as a group. And once we, you know, did our fair share of that, of playing Lucky Chops and things like that, we were able to take that and be like, okay, now we know, kind of recognize we're familiar with brass band music and how we sound. Now we can do that ourselves instead Mm -hmm. of looking to another brass band to do that. We, We are now a brass band. Mm-hmm. at that point which mm-hmm. is really cool and also because I mean we, we stuck together for about three years mm-hmm. and that's going through high school so starting as sophomores at a point where you're like okay then know this is cool getting into music and then ending as seniors where you're like making a decision about when you go to college for music and stuff like that and it was cool to kind of see like okay the group definitely progressed as we all progressed as musicians mm-hmm. our band director Mr. Horton Joel uh, Horton, he like supported us a lot. Yes. Like, he would take us to the elementary schools and stuff like that to get kids to be interested in band. He was like, these are kids who are doing stuff outside of school, so you could do that. It was just like, it all helped us grow as musicians. Yeah. 
any young musician or group of young musicians, I mean, you start out by mimicking the greats and mimicking the people that you look up to. And then the more you play together, the more your original sound starts coming out. I'm glad you brought that up, Turner, because that seems, especially for jazz, that seems to be the process. That's the learning process. You memorize, you listen to and memorize somebody else's solos. Seal. Yeah, and seal. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, you do. But then through that process, you evolve your own sound and your own personality. Yeah, and it's it's like learning a language. Yeah, um, I mean, you learn read read the literature and learn words and how to form them into sentences, and you steal beautiful sentences from people you admire, and then eventually you start producing something original. Turner, Andrew, and Owen all went to Middle Tennessee State University to study music. Andrew had played saxophone with the Mutton Chops, but he majored in bassoon in college. So Andrew's actually a bassoon major. <laughs> so I, my primary instrument is bassoon, which is a weird, interesting flip <laughs> between the two, but it's, it's really fun. Well, I've always played bassoon in, in concert band and in saxophone and jazz. I've never played, I've never really played saxophone in like middle school band or high school band except for jazz. So whenever I pick up a saxophone, I'm instantly thinking jazz, and then when I, when I pick up a bassoon, I'm instantly in like a classical field. Mm. Like so it's been a little easier for me. kind of sounds confusing, but for me, my whole life, it's been this is in that field, the other instrument's in the other. So I'm able to kind of switch between them pretty comfortably at this point. It sounds to me like a maybe a student who would speak one language at home and another language at school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like walking into one house and you instantly know what to say and then going to school mm-hmm. and saying, saying another thing. It's mm-hmm. I just know that whatever, I know what I have always said on each instrument. I guess I know what, how my brain thinks when I hold an instrument up. And yeah. Whether it's a saxophone or a bassoon, I pretty comfortably just know what to say or like yeah. where, I, where I am or what, I'm, what kind of style of music I'm playing. To go with Turner's language metaphor, we're sort of keeping that going. Yes, absolutely. It's working, working for us right now. Yep. As much as they love to have fun, these guys are pretty serious musicians. It seems like it was always about the music for you guys. You know, I mean, a lot of people get in the band to get girls, right? But I Yes. Whoa. Was it that too? Oh, no, it's, there's not much of a market for it's like it's kind of it's kind of eight white guys, seven white guys, and Canal standing around with horns playing jazz. Playing jazz. <laughs> the, the good thing about it is it was like no matter what, you could play at something like a school function, you could play at a gig, you could play at a fundraiser because you're playing either music everyone's gonna like inadvertently know just because you know everyone's heard we built this city everyone's heard you know classics and stuff like that or you're gonna play in a place where it's like whoa we don't listen to any of this kind of stuff so this is gonna be fun and everyone just has fun so it's like regardless it doesn't really people just kind of would like it. There wasn't really a demographic of people that would like brass band music and deep roots. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it definitely was about the music for us, although a lot of our considerations when we were picking out a song to arrange, or especially when we were building a set, was thinking about okay, our audience is not likely to be very familiar with brass band music, so let's give them a set that they can still enjoy and have a lot of fun. 
it was kind of interesting to see when we played games at our high school. We could get the crowd really excited. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And yeah. it's kind of funny. I mean, we played three, Jonas Brother. Yeah. Yeah. Prince, yeah. One Direction. And, and, and for three guys who grew up as band nerds, it was kind of interesting to see the attention we would get from everyone at our high school for hot music. Yeah. We just we figured out that there was a certain kind of thing that would get people excited, and then that we that was like a door we could take, and then we play some of our originals as well and since, like, since they had already heard the things that they like and they know they'd be more accepting or like willing to listen and get excited about things that we liked mm-hmm. a set was based off of like alright we're dealing with a Relay for Life fundraiser at the high school we're going to de- be dealing with 15 to 18 year olds and they're going to be wanting to listen to this so let's give them this mm-hmm. uh, or we're playing at Art Walk or we're playing at Slice Fest and we have like a larger crowd that's going to be more willing to listen to other things okay well we can add in this too like in Art in the Hills it was you know there's more of an art crowd there that maybe might be more willing to listen to jazz or like know a little bit more about that kind of world so we play jazz standards more there and then as you said it really mm-hmm. life more you know pop things that they know it was, it, I mean we had fun playing it all so we were, willing, we were willing to learn things and arrange things that we knew people would want to play at a specific place, which was really fun. So definitely, definitely, it was all about us just wanting to make music together and play it and have a good time together playing and not worry about money or trying to get girls or something like that. Yeah. We, we definitely weren't. We weren't trying to look cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, we had um, we had a, that, that that bear hat. We would go on stage looking ridiculous. <laughs> we we had this little theme going at the beginning where we like found thrift store jackets, like nice like suit jackets, like tweed jackets. But they were all funny looking, and we would show up to a gig all wearing different, just old looking jackets and play. You know, it was just like it was like we're already here. Fun. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> It was awesome. Like whatever we thought was cool and fun. Well, not maybe not cool, but whatever, no, whatever, whatever we thought, <laughs> whatever we thought was cool, and fun, we did. And I, I think people like watching us have fun. We we won a battle of the bands. I think we had better stage presence than anybody else, just because we all jumping around acting like idiots. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Tell me how you developed that stage presence. And you had a, a special thing that you did with when the Saints came marching in. Oh, this, okay. Yeah, exactly. I guess the music got low. Yeah, that we all dropped our volume. Well, because we, we, we played on the Saints Go Marching In the entire time we were there. From our first, first set our first to the last set, there was not a single time we played that we did not play Saints Go Marching In. And I think almost it was always our last song. Yeah, and I think almost every time we played it, we added a little something. And then eventually we added this whole part where we play chorus really quiet and everybody like squats down and we get the, get the crowd to squat down with us. And then we do another chorus where it's super loud and everybody jumps back up. So I, I, I don't know, I guess part of that too was just the whole crowd involvement thing because we, we were always trying to focus on getting the crowd to have as much fun as we were. Obviously, you know, not a lot of people knew about brass band music or if a lot of people might have not known if brass band music was cool or not cool. So it was kind of, it was kind of our job to make sure that they knew that it was cool and was fun. So by adding stuff like that and getting excited and trying to make the crowd excited, we were almost like proving to them that what we were doing was fun and brass band music and jazz and all that can be cool. Even if they don't really know much about it, they can see us and kind of maybe be excited about that kind of music or maybe look further into it. That's something that was really important to us, especially at the beginning, was kind of proving ourselves. 
because we really did have to prove to our audiences that we were legit. The, the whole thing basically stemmed out of us all being high school together and playing together in high school and middle school. And so, like, when we were playing at anything around our peers, and, like, obviously, there's lots of bands that go through, like, high schools, like, other, like, garage bands, rock bands, you know, stuff like that, country groups, but not brass bands in the stadium. Yeah. So when there's, like, there's, like, a yearly little music festival that happens at the school, and it's really real fun, it's called Best of Blues, uh, first year for there to be a brass band, like, we get a little side stage, and then people liked us, and then since then, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was nice. Yeah, we did, for a good while, we had to prove ourselves, because it was like, okay, the marching band guys? Dude. Yeah, we yeah we were they're coming out to the okay yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh cool. yeah like, <laughs> there, were, there were times where we auditioned for performances at school and didn't make it and it, it took us getting up on stage finally and making the crowd have fun to prove that we were legit and it was good music that people would enjoy. So you were educating people about it. Almost, yeah. Yeah. In, in a way, we weren't we weren't sitting up there talking to them about yeah. what they were doing, but but we were showing them. Yeah. yeah. We were showing them that it was it was something yeah. fun. I think anybody who left had a show of ours could could tell that we were having a good time. And yeah. I don't think there was a question about that, which was cool. We got denied for. Uh, was it Curcella at some point? And then we we kind of had to battle our way to get uh, in between sets. Mm-hmm. So we, we auditioned to try to get a full set and they didn't give it to us. So we kind of had to get, we were like, okay, can we get something? And they gave us like one little song in between the sets. It was kind of nice because it was like, oh, instead of us be going up and people listening to us and be like, yeah, that was cool. It was people having to sit there and listen to us throughout the entire night and shorty commits. And so it was just kind of dosing them like one little bit at a time until they finally were like, except and at the end, I mean, like, we played Saints. We played Saints and everyone laid down on the ground and everyone jumped up. It was a good time. People made Canal take his shoes off for some reason. Uh, people loved Canal. Canal was just somebody you could look at and figure it out. He was a, yeah, he was a favorite Christian. Yeah. And like, like, we wrote a song in the men's bathroom in the gymnasium right before the concert because we're like alright they want us to play in between this set we didn't know but we don't have enough songs to uh, play so I guess we're just going to write one and we just came up with one called Kitchen Sink and then we played that and it was fun <laughs> it definitely gave us the spot between sets almost as like they felt bad for us they were like man like we need to give these guys something yeah. but we but, took it and by the end of the night there were bands who would be finishing up their last song and people would chant for the mutton shots to get back on stage. Wow. We, we made the most of what whatever we got because we, we knew that was our chance to, yeah. to further prove ourselves. Tell me what you learned about that hustle, you know, having to work for that and having to sort of build it up without people knowing what it was and having to show them. I think you did have groupies by the end of... That, I guess. There I are. mean, you had t-shirts, you mm-hmm. had people who wore them, you mm-hmm. know. I think part of it was there were actually, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of really good musicians in our grade and around us during that time. There were a lot of other really good bands yeah. um, that were playing with us that we ended up getting to be really good friends with as like, like Riverbend. We were friends with them and we were able to go to school with us. Right. Yeah. A couple of them actually go to MTSU now. A lot of our beginnings gigs that we did were actually with them. Maybe we played before them and they would be after. One of the members went to Vestavia. We played a lot of gigs together at like Relay for Life or Coachella or just school events. Mm -hmm. So we were constantly surrounded by them and they had t-shirts and fans and they were doing all these things and getting excited. And that was almost inspiration 
to us to like you know try to be in, in, instead of be just a little band below all of them we wanted right. to sets, we wanted you know. to be with them if yeah. that made sense and they and they yeah. supported us and they mm-hmm. vouched for us too at these yeah because I mean like whatever you want to say like yeah a rock band a brass band may be different but it's funny when that rock band a drummer is also on snare line a marching band mm-hmm. right and you know you've known him for seven years mm-hmm. and you get to play with him for a long time he's like oh yeah no see music is music and you know so there's always some way to you know connect with other musicians in the area even if like they weren't into what we were doing they were always just still like oh yeah guys that's groovy you know it's cool you know you're doing your music we're doing our music it's a good time no one was ever really hostile about jobs being a thing yeah. mm-hmm. we were almost not a threat <laughs> yeah because it was like <laughs> and we were so it was so different it was like you walk in you're just like hey you know you're doing your thing we're like in a different state it's okay you know <laughs> we're not the we're not the rival guitar singer bass drum set bands you yeah. know we're the like eight piece yeah. instrument so drums. yeah so we, we did have to draw the support of our audience but at the end of the day a big part of it too was musicians supporting other musicians music is music but if you're a serious musician you eventually have to look for your own unique voice your musical identity i wondered how that played out for the mutton chops when they played covers or arrangements of other people's music or when they did jazz improvisation there were some songs that were played a certain way on maybe the radio or um, the way they originally recorded, and we kind of took that and flip-flopped it almost, like played it in our own style that we felt appropriate. Not really changing the content of the song, but almost Maybe. saying something different with the same song. A lot of it just had to do with our instrumentation. You know, some songs that are very electronic or... You know, like the pop of the day is a lot of not real instruments, but maybe like synth things like that can't really easily be recreated with an instrument, like a trombone or a trumpet. You already know that the person who's playing the melody or the vocal line isn't going to be able to emulate what a vocalist is going to fully be able to sound like. You can do it as close as you can, right? And that gives it its own sound. There were also several times where we tried and failed. Some there were some songs that we thought we we could do and make into our own thing and play it. And we try it, maybe write it out, spend maybe an hour, two hours rehearsing it and trying it. And at the end of the day saying, maybe not this time. Like maybe this is the song we might, there might be other ways we can, other songs that we can do better. Um, so it was almost a trial and error kind of thing. Not, not every song we felt like we could do. We would kind of listen to them, maybe try and flesh them out a little bit. And if we felt like, we could, the mutton chops could play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like, you always have the ones that are just in your back pocket. Like, you know, we played Saints every show because that's, mm-hmm. like, I, it was, like, a, after about a year, like, everyone knew, okay, yeah, it's the last song, it's going to be Saints. No one was tired of it, but everyone knew. And, like, you know, there were other songs that we just, we would play, and we're like, oh, we didn't see the reaction, we played another place. So, oh, that's pretty good, too. And then, okay, that's in the book, that's that one's, remember that one. <laughs> Keep that one in your mind. Yeah. And then... I think, too, that there are different ways that you can go about recreating a song. So, for example, like the Black Jacket Symphony, they'll recreate an entire album as closely as possible to give their audience that experience. And there's so much value in that, and that's a great show, and everyone loves it. 
On the flip side, for example, PJ Morton covering the, the Bee Gees, How Deep Is Your Love, yeah. it's a completely different feel on the same music, and he's saying something almost entirely different from what the Bee Gees were saying. And same deal like when we covered the Jonas Brothers' Love Boat, the song is recognizable, but I think you used, you used the word perspective earlier. Mm -hmm. It's so our worldviews that we've been brought up on and our musical cultures that we've accumulated throughout the years, you can see it in the music even if we're playing the same harmonies and the same melodies. Our idea about covering a song or something like that, we would use an idea from like something completely mm -hmm. unrelated to the song that we're covering. The, like we might be playing the notes or like the same, like playing the song that we're covering, but we're honestly thinking about something completely or a style that's completely different. And we were even able to like joke around and add stuff to it that were stemmed from pure just us being in the Saints Go Marching In later down the road we discovered that the Magic School Bus theme song oh, yeah, was right in line with Saints Go Marching In and we just we were like okay let's let's do it because we thought we just wanted to and yeah, it's, it's stuff like great. it was stuff like having fun with each other again yeah being just you know, hearing so, someone play something once as a joke in a song and like wait that's actually really cool yeah I'm sticking it in yeah. you know, at a concert people being like everyone would probably be like wait that's actually really cool we're like oh it worked and sometimes it doesn't yeah. it's <laughs> so flexible yeah. to the point with each other and then with the music that we just were able to just personalize it as much as we wanted without yeah. complaints really from anyone else we were just doing what we wanted to do it was organic and I think that's one of the cool things about playing in a group with other competent musicians is you continue to play gigs and to practice multiple times a week and eventually you're not really thinking super hard about how are we going to express ourselves it kind of just happens from mm -hmm. playing together by the end of us being those three years by the end i can honestly say that we had that we had that oh, yeah. no. organic we literally picked up our instruments together and then four years later, you're like, oh, we're in high school now. Let's do this. And then three years later, it's over. And yes. you, know, you play with people for seven years, you know, cool stuff happens. You mm -hmm. know? Walker Burroughs is another friend who grew up with the mutton chops. You heard from Walker in the last two episodes about how Walker is finding his unique voice. Before Walker was on American Idol, the mutton chops helped him invite his date to the prom. Luke told me the story. Walker's a great friend of the bands. You know, a lot of us... A lot of the group of Mutton Chops, we were also in, in youth group together at Pistavio's Baptist Church. And, of course, Walker was also part of that youth group just one year older than us. But a lot of us had either just through being in band and marching band with Walker or growing up with him in church um, already had some connection to Walker. And so when he was dating this girl at the time and had this idea to you know involve music with asking her out by changing the words a little to stand by me and he, he would change he changed the words to instead of darlings won't you stand by me it was darling go to prom with me which was clever of him and so then we were his uh, we were his background and then i think at yeah, abc did, did a little coverage there of just local boy you know asks his girlfriend to the prom and of course that was just a, a little glimpse of the, the kind of the public attention that walker would would eventually get with american idol which was another crazy thing to have been so connected with walker before you know before he got huge and to to see the evolution of that connection. As a good friend of Walker through and through, I will attest that he has stayed level-headed the whole time. And so, you know, we were referred to as Walker Bros. Band, and then we never, I don't think we were ever named as the Mutton Chops, but 
as a group centered around fun, fame was not really a, a huge coveted goal of ours, so we weren't too bummed about, you know, only being known as Walker's Band. Vesta Palooza was a yearly concert that the schools so the Muse is a student run group at the high school that deals with creative works, either literature or music or, or anything of the sort. And so they always throw on this little music concert with local high school bands from Mustavia. And so we did that for a couple of years. And then he actually came to sing when the Saints come marching in with us for that one. And that was one of our, our favorite Walker Burroughs collaborations. Since we were on the topic of friendship, Luke took the opportunity to mention my son, who played with the Mutton Chops. Well, of course, and we haven't mentioned each, uh, each artist by name, but I mean, we couldn't end this without talking about our great bass trombonist, your son, William again <laughs> carried the band for so many years. We started out with a, a sousaphone as our main bass voice. You know, William, an, another great friend of the group, just, you know, before he was even involved with us was after we realized that the tuba player just wasn't really going to work for us in the way that we wanted to. It was better to have a really great friend of the group who's a really phenomenal trombone player who ended up doing a great, great adaptation of the bass drum, and that is not an easy instrument to play at all. Um, so we're very, very thankful for William to be not only a great friend of the group, but a, a phenomenal bass drum player when we need him. He's our, he's the bass voice that, that can be heard on our five or six recorded songs that we went to the studio with. Just a shameless plug into the McKinnis family. <laughs> well, of course, I had to include that shout out to William. I do think Luke captured the spirit of the mutton chops nicely, though. There's something to be said about when you're first time doing anything. You know? So oftentimes when I go back and do something the second or third time, I have this just almost idolized first experience of a memory in there. I just find myself comparing what I'm currently doing to the first time that it was ever done. Yeah, you know, mutton chops, kind of like I said, this untouchable first experience that not that I would not have plenty of fun, you know, being a part of a brass band again in, in college, but if we were 10 times better back in the day or if we were 10 times worse than we actually were, I still wouldn't, still wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it any differently because it was just so, anyway, it's just untouchable in my mind. You know, there's just something special about that first go around. By now, you've figured out I have a personal interest in the mutton chops. My son played with them. They're his friends, my friends. The same goes for Walker Burroughs. Some of my friends happen to be great musicians. I started making the podcast to share them with you. The mutton chops were a group of best friends doing what they loved to do most, making music together. Their joy is contagious. They make me think of a Bible verse that is part of my tradition growing up. In 1 Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The mutton chops set an example in friendship and creativity, following joy. I don't want to forget these things as I grow older, so I plan to keep listening to the mutton chops. You can too. Keep an eye out for them on Spotify. The theme for this season of Here in Alabama is finding our unique voices as musicians, artists, as human beings. Sometimes it's friendship that allows our individual uniqueness to shine. We can even find friendship with musicians we don't know personally when their work inspires or influences us. When we approach those relationships 
With integrity and joy, it can bring out everyone's best unique voice. And speaking of friendship, I'm excited to introduce you to Kanal Tawari in the next episode. It was Kanal's facial hair that inspired the Mutton Chop's name and logo. He played the kazoo solos on When the Saints Go Marching In. He now studies euphonium with Dr. Demandre Thurman at Indiana University. Keep listening to Meet Kanal. I'm Beth McGinnis, and this is Here in Alabama.